0: Greetings friends and brethren, this is Dr. Bob Teal for Continuing Church of God. I want to talk about repentance. You know, The Bible teaches that those who want to be Christians need to repent. And Do you understand repentance? The dictionary def- definition, at least from the American College Dictionary of Repentance is, quote, to feel self-reproach, compunction, Or contrition for past conduct. To feel such sorrow for sin or fault as to be disposed to change one's life for the better. And the Bible definition means that as well as much more. Jesus' message was one of uh, repentance, turning toward God. And he really meant it wanted people to repent. Not just have some emotional feeling. You know, be upset or be disturbed. You know, there's a sorrow in this world which is human and physical. It's emotional. It leads to death. There's a difference between just being emotional, you get upset and shedding tears, uh, and a godly sorrow to get you to repent. In Luke uh, 13, Jesus said, "'Except you repent, you will likewise perish.'" And he's talking, there was a tower that fell on people at the time. And he talked about the parable of the lost sheep, about the 99. And in Luke 15:7, he said, "'I say to you, there will be joy in heaven over one sinner that repents, more than 99 just persons which need no repentance.'" Now, I like to tell a story Maybe maybe you've heard some versions of this in the past. It's about a basketball coach. They're playing basketball, and one player had gotten the ball from the other team, and he was all excited because he'd gotten this ball. And he's bouncing and he's running toward the wrong basket. Coach shouted to him, Hey, you're going the wrong way! Stop. Turn around. Go the other way. But, you know, the crowd was making noise. The guy's all excited. Hey, I've got this shot. I'm going to be able to make this shot score for my team. And he did. Except he scored it for the wrong team. You know, he was told to stop and turn around. God has told humans to do the same thing. Hopefully we'll listen. You know, God wants everyone to repent, but most people won't. The coach wants this guy to turn around and he didn't, he didn't pay attention. Other things were more important to him. He was distracted. There's another story about a group of uh, people. They were clearing uh, some forest for, uh, to put up a building of some type, or building structure, some kind of project and they are working really diligently, then a leader came by and said, Stop! You're clearing the wrong forest. But someone, probably a foreman, says, We can't stop! We're almost done! But they were doing the wrong thing. This happens in this life. People think, Oh, I can't really change. Uh, let's say they have a non-true form of Christianity. Well, I've lived my whole life like this that I should just finish it. No, you should change. If it's the wrong way, you need to change. A lot of the world feels it cannot change because of tradition, family ties, work, government influence, whatever. And what's repentance? To a Christian, repentance is changing from going Satan's way, the way of the world, the get way of life, to God's way of life, the get way, the way of love. Now, I went over to Bible Hub to look at this word uh, repentance, and here's a few things it says. Talks about the original word in uh, Greek, which looks like it's pronounced, let's say, metanoes, I'm messing up the Greek. I do know some Greek. Uh, and uh, they transliterate uh, it to eo. And they say the short definition is I repent, change my mind. Definition. Longer definition. I repent, change my mind, change the inner man, particularly with reference to acceptance of the will of God and to repent. A lot of people don't really understand what repentance is. They just think I was feeling sorry for something. And that's part of it, but it's more than that. Repentance involves not just sorrow, but change. Those who don't understand repentance are essentially doomed to continue in the wrong direction spiritually and to ignore God's commands that we should repent. Now let's go to the book of Mark. I'll be reading from uh, the New King James most of the time, Mark chapter 1. Read a little bit about Jesus teaching repentance. It says now, verse 14. Now after John was put in prison, Jesus came to Galilee, preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God, and saying, the time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. He was telling people to change and devote their lives to the kingdom of God. So after Jesus ascended to heaven, we're going to go to Acts 2. The apostle Peter taught repentance. So Acts chapter 2, start with uh, verse uh, 38. It says, then Peter said to them, repent and let everyone of you be baptized. He starts off with the word Repent. In the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promises to you and to your children, and all who are far off, as many as God will call. Now, I want to go down to the next chapter, Acts chapter 3, and let's start with verse 19. Repent and be converted. Now, when you convert something, you change it that your sins may be blotted out so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and he may send Jesus Christ who has preached to you before, whom heaven must receive until the times of the restoration of all things, the tistasis, which God has spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. Now to repent means to change from living our way to living God's way. And sometimes you think, oh, our ways are okay this way or that way. Well, if they are in conflict with God's ways, no, they're not. Even if you're comfortable with it. Even you say, well, yeah, but other people are worse. The Bible warns about comparing yourself against others. Repentance comes when we see our sins and we're truly, deeply remorseful of them. We stop sinning. We resolve to obey God. And with his help, we actually do obey him. Crying about sins isn't repentance, although it can be appropriate. Repentance is about change. Most people hold impressions about repentance that are far away from what the Bible teaches. Some see no need for repentance because they don't think they've sinned. Or if they feel they sinned, uh, they don't seem to believe that God needs to be involved. Some don't think they need to repent uh, because all they think they must do is uh, believe or accept something academically. But such false beliefs don't fulfill God's commands. You know, the English word uh, "repent" is a translation from the uh, uh, in the Bible from the Hebrew and Greek. Uh, the words in Hebrew and Greek means to turn or change direction. Uh, Let's go to the book of Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 18. Ezekiel 18, starting in verse 30. Therefore, I will judge you, O house of Israel, everyone according to his ways, says the Lord God. Repent and turn from all your transgressions. Not just be sorry for them and keep doing them, Repent and turn from all your transgressions, so that iniquity will not be your ruin. If you don't do it, it says iniquity will be your ruin. Cast away from you all the transgressions which you've committed, and get yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. For why should you die, O house of Israel? For I have no pleasure in the death of anyone who dies, says the Lord of the eternal Yahweh God. Therefore, turn and live. And so well, that's the Old Testament. Well, you don't have to go there, but Acts 26.20 says, repent, turn to God, and do works befitting repentance. In other words, live your life in a way that shows that you've changed. Change direction requires that we first see that you're going we're going in the wrong direction. And we've got to stop going the wrong way. And again, with God's help, obey and switch. People can't even see that they're going the wrong way without God's help. God has to call. Uh, we have a booklet on this, by the way. Is God Calling You. This booklet and any other booklet I might hold up is available at the www.ccog.org website out of the literature tab. Uh, go to the books and booklet section, and then you'll find it. Uh, the books are they show up. Just click on them, and they're free. You don't have to give us your email address. You don't have to give us any money. Uh, just read and study and compare what we've written to what's in the Bible. Now when you actually read our booklets, I'll just hold these two up, uh, you'll see we quote lots of scriptures, but you can check see we're teaching what the Bible says. Anyway, you can't Repent until God calls you. And that's not the way Protestants tend to see this. i uh, book going to hold a book we have on Protestantism, Hope of Salvation, How the Continuing Church of God Differs from Protestantism. Uh, a lot of Protestants think, oh, if at one time in your life you simply said, yeah, I accept Jesus as Savior, but you don't change your life, you don't live any different, that you can actually go to heaven, that's what they teach, uh, just from that, it doesn't matter how you lived. The Bible doesn't teach that way. The Bible actually teaches God grants, uh, Jesus grants eternal salvation to those who obey Him. And the Apostles said God grants His Holy Spirit to those who obey Him. So it's not just a matter of accepting that there was Jesus. The demons believed there's there was a Jesus, they, won't, they, won't, uh, they don't want to repent, and they don't want to obey. I want to go to the book of Romans, Romans chapter 2. The Bible teaches that it's not our will, but the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. So let's go to Romans 2, verse 1. Therefore you are inexcusable, O man, whoever you are who judge. For whatever you judge another, you condemn yourselves. For you... Who judge practice the same things. So a lot of people say, well, I'm better than uh, Joe or Jill. You may be worse than them on many things, including what you're judging them for. But we know that the judgment of God is according to truth against those who practice such things. And do you think this, oh man, you who judge those practicing such things, and doing the same thing, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering, not knowing it's the goodness of God that leads you to repentance? Yes, God has to call you. Again, we have a booklet. What the hell is God calling you? The Bible further states that repentance is something God must grant, as he did when he granteth the Gentiles repentance to life in Acts 11:18. 18. I want to go to 2 Timothy 2. Uh, because the Apostle Paul understood this uh, when he instructed Timothy. This is 2 Timothy 2, starting verse 24. And the servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient, in humility, correcting those who are in opposition, if perhaps, if God perhaps will grant them repentance. See, see, God has to grant them repentance so that they may know the truth. A lot of the world do do not understand the truth. They can't even understand some of the basics about life. Verse 26. And that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, who is a liar and the father of lies, having been taken captive by him to do his will. If you don't repent, you're doing Satan's will. Say, grab it, it's my will. Your will is influenced by Satan because you're going up going the way Satan wants you to go. Satan doesn't really care very much about what you do, actually, as long as you don't go the right way. And you say, but well, you want to go your way, and your way is right. And it's between you and God. Well, it is between you and God, and God lays out in his word how it should be between you and God. A lot of people think, oh, if I have this right feeling toward God. God really loves me because God's answered some prayers to my God, God's done a few things, therefore everything is always just fine. Well, it's good if you pray. It's uh, it's great when God answers your prayers, but God's answered prayers of people who are not true believers. There have been studies done on on prayer from people of various faiths and uh, shows that God does intervene. Things, miracles, if you want to call them, happen. But just because someone prays and uh, God may answer some specific prayer doesn't necessarily mean you're God's people. If you're not living the way God wants you to live, you're not truly His His people in this age. Now, I'd like to read something from uh, the late uh, Dennis Luker. He was an evangelist in the old uh, uh, Worldwide Church of God, and he had an article called "What's Godly Repentance" that was published in the old Tomorrow's World magazine back in April of 1972. So says, there's two kinds of repentance. One is of God and leads to eternal life. The other is of this world and leads only to death. So just as I said, just like God may answer prayers of those uh, who've not been called and converted, uh, people think, oh, well, I repented, so my repentance counts. A well, worldly repentance doesn't actually count. Many people have had what they would call a religious experience. It's usually associated with giving their heart to the Lord or making a decision for Christ. That was more popular in uh, places like the United States a few decades ago, uh, more Protestant evangelical campaigns along those lines. Anyway, Dennis Luper continues with, but does this represent genuine repentance in the biblical sense? A true godly repentance is not something worked up from within a person as a result of a moving church service A great speaker, entertaining speaker, I should say, captivating speaker. Neither the strains of Almost Persuaded, the old famous hymn, nor the stained glass voice of an emotional preacher can generate godly repentance in an individual. Real repentance, the kind that God requires, is a gift of God. It's something that God must inspire in an individual, both. Uh, 2 Timothy 2, 24, 25, and Acts 11:18 18 make it clear that God must grant repentance. True repentance is more than an emotional experience. To illustrate, let's take the case of uh, Joe Bloke, a fictional name. Joe believed in God, so he said, and he attended church pretty regularly. But he also liked to drink and have fun with his college co-eds. During the week, he'd work hard and discipline himself pretty well. But when Saturday night came, he'd celebrate by getting drunk, which sometimes led to fornication. He knew it was wrong because he knew the Bible condemned drunkenness and fornication. After he sobered up on Sunday morning with a terrible hangover, he'd feel very sorry for what he did. He'd shed tears and swear to himself he'd never do it again. He'd go to church today and repent. That made him feel better. He'd be good for another week. But almost every Saturday night, old Joe would get drunk, slip again, commit fornication. And the following morning, he would deeply repent again. If you'd have seen old Joe, you'd have been sure he really repented. He was so sincere. He shed so many tears. He asked God to forgive him every time. And he'd go to church and confess and make up for his sins. Uh, In Roman Catholicism, they have a, a sacrament, they call it, of confession that people go through and they... I'll have to do, in their case, they mutter a few prayers, supposedly, and that's enough. Anyway, getting back to the article, uh, Dennis Luker wrote, "What was Joe's real problems?" Problem: His repentance was only superficial. It wasn't genuine. He was only feeling sorry for himself. He was experiencing worldly sorrow. He was upset because of what his sins had done to him, not for what he'd done to God or anyone else. His was a selfish repentance. He experienced only a temporary feeling of remorse, sorrow, and guilt. And he continued to repeat the same sins over and over again. If Joe had known that real repentance comes from God, he'd have cried out in prayer with all his heart and asked God to help him repent. God would have granted godly repentance if Joe had really wanted to stop sinning permanently. A person who is seeking true repentance shall find it because God is willing to give it. Now, he cites uh, 2 Peter 3.9. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some count, men count slackness. But is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God offers repentance, to grant repentance, when He calls a person to His truth. And we can't uh, be called to the truth unless God by his not our initiative decides to call us you say that doesn't sound right well this is what your savior said let's go to John six starting verse forty three John six forty three Jesus therefore answered and said to them do not murmur among yourselves no one can come to me unless the Father who Sent me, draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they shall all be taught by God. Therefore, everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Now, if you're understanding what I'm saying and convicted by it, if you've not already done so, then God's calling you to the to leading you to repentance. And you, again, you may find help with our free online booklet. Is God Calling You? Again, available at the ccog.org website. Many won't respond. Now let's go over to Matthew chapter 20. They won't do what God teaches in the Bible. God calls but many don't respond to be chosen. Matthew 20, starting in verse uh, 8. Uh, Jesus is uh, speaking here. He says, in the evening come, the owner of a vineyard said to his servant, steward, call the laborers and give them their wages, beginning with the first and the last. And those who came were hired at the eleventh hour. They received a denarius. And First came, they thought they'd get more. They only got a denarius. They received it. They complained against the landowner, saying, these last men only worked an hour. You made them equal us who borne the burden of heat for the day. But he answered them, said, friend, I'm not doing any wrong. Did you not agree to work me for a denarius? Take what's yours and go your way. I wish to give this last man the same as you. Is it lawful for, isn't it lawful for me to do what I want in my own things? Or is your eye evil because I am good? So the last will be first and the first last. Many are called and few are chosen. Many are called and don't respond. All should truly believe God. Let's go to the book of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 3. And yes I go to this passage of lot because I think this is a key how that all those who truly want to follow God should lead their life Proverbs 3 starting in verse 5 trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding in all your ways acknowledge him and he will shall direct your paths That, would, that works, except there's another warning that comes right after it. Do not be wise in your own eyes, because most people are. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. Change, repent. It will be health to your flesh and strength to your bones. Verse 9, honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase. A lot of people want to do that. Oh, I can't change and tithe or give offerings. But God says, do this so your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. A lot of people don't really have that kind of faith. And of course, people also don't like it when things go wrong. And well, none of us like when things go wrong. But look at verse 11. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor detest his correction. For whom the Lord loves, he corrects. Just as the father and the son of whom he delights. God corrects you, he wants you to change. When God calls a person and begins to lead that person to repentance, he does so by showing the person he or she has been living wrong. Pointing out various sins. And We know 1 John 3, 4, the Old King James sins the transgressions of the law. God shows us these sins by opening our minds to understanding that they're wrong. One who really understands God's law realizes they've truly been living in accord with it before repentance, that they've been sinning, therefore they need to repent, they need to change. We all need to repent. In Romans 3.23, Paul said, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Now, I'd like to go to Romans 5. You can turn there, starting verse 10. Romans 5 verse 10 For if we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his Son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now receive the reconciliation. Reconciliation happens after repentance and the proper acceptance of Jesus' sacrifice. But even as Christians, Repentance isn't over. Why? Let's go to 1 John. 1 John chapter 1. We'll go to verse 8. If we, we're talking about Christians, if we say that we have no sin, and this is the Apostle John writing this, so he's including himself in this, we deceive ourselves the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, so say, okay, yes, we have sins, and I'm sorry. So I acknowledge that we have them. He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Cleanse us so we don't keep doing, so cleanse us, forgive us the past so we won't keep doing it in the future. And if we say we haven't sinned, we make God a liar, and the truth is not, his word's not in us. The presence of sin demands repentance. For God doesn't promise to forgive our sins unless we repent and are baptized. We've been slaves to sin. Let's go to Romans chapter six. Romans chapter six, I'll start with verse uh, 20. For when you were slaves of sin, now people don't think they're slaves of sin, they think they're just you know following society, what they like, what their family says, their boss, whatever. When you were slaves of sin, you were free in regards to righteousness. What fruit did you have then in the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of all of those of those things is death. If you don't go God's way, way, ends in death. But now, having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God, you have fruit to holiness and in the end, everlasting life. As yes, we'll die in this life, but we have... In the end, everlasting life comes with resurrection. For the wages of sin is death. And all sin falling short of the glory of God and all physical death. Although those of us who are alive when Jesus returns will be changed at that time. But the gift of God's eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. But sadly, many don't see the need to repent. Like some of the self-righteous Jews at uh, Jesus' time, they don't see their sins. I want to go to uh, the Psalms, let's go to the 51st Psalm, we, when you understand, your, try to keep sin in sharp focus, you should be deeply broken up about it, and repentance is not just simply sorrow, but it can be or, uh, accompanied by serious emotion and sorrow. David was deeply remorseful, King David, uh, with his sin with Bathsheba. And here's some of what he uh, wrote. Psalm 51, starting verse one. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgression Transgressions plural here. And my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight, that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. Skip down a few more verses. Because not only does he want to repent, that's starting verse 10. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence, and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Which, the indication is, one, David knew he had God's Holy Spirit, and two, you could lose it. I realize various ones sprickly Calvinists say you can't lose it, but that's not what the Bible teaches. This is what we see right here. So, yes, Christians need to repent. Verse 12, Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Don't be lukewarm about it. And uphold me by your generous spirit, and I will teach, teach transgressors their way, and sinners shall be converted to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, the God of my salvation. And my tongue shall sing aloud of your righteousness, O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth shall show forth your praise. For you do not desire a sacrifice, or else I give it. You do not delight in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. In the New Testament, Romans chapter 12, verse 1, talks about us Christians are to be living sacrifices. And notice it says, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. Now, I'm going to go to Job 42. Starting verse 5, Job was remorseful and said, I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. Now I'd like to see something about uh, Saul who became Paul. I'm going to go to Acts chapter uh verse 3 this is the one who came to Apostle Paul Acts 8 verse 3, as for Saul, he made havoc of the church entering every house and dragging off men and women committing them to prison. Saul was what you might call modern times a a bad dude. Now let's go to chapter 9 and go through with this, starting with verse one. Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogue of Damascus. So if he had found any who were of the way, and Christianity was known as the way, it's a different way, it's not Satan's way. Anyway, whether men or women, he bound them to Jerusalem. So yeah, he was looking for for people who accepted the, that way. He journeyed, he came near Damascus, suddenly a light shone around him from heaven, then he fell on the ground, and he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He said, who are you, Lord? The Lord said, I am Jesus, you're persecuting. It's hard for you to kick against the goats, which basically means that... Um, Saul knew something wasn't quite right with what he was doing, but he couldn't quite put his finger on it. Anyway, so verse 6, So he saw, trembling astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? And the Lord said to him, Arise and go into the city, and you'll be told what you must do. Okay, so God gave him instruction. Jesus told him, hey, this is what, here's what I want you to obey. Go here and find out what you must do. Not what you should do, but what you must do. Verse 7, and the men who journeyed with him stood speechless. They heard a voice, but they didn't see anyone. And Saul arose from the ground, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no one. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was three days without sight, and he neither did nor drank. So remember, he came there to get rid of Christians. Verse 10, now there's a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias, and to him the Lord said to him in a vision, so it could be a dream or some kind of vision. He said, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. The Lord said to him, Arise and go to the street called Street. And inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he's praying. And in the vision he's seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him so he might receive his sight. Ananias, wondering about this, Ananias announced, Lord, I've heard from many about this man. How much harm he's done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he has authority here from the priest to bind all who call on your name. And I was like, you sure, this is what you want me to do. But the Lord said to him, go, for my chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles, kings and children of Israel. For I'm going to show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. So he did a lot of bad things to people to give him an idea what's going to happen to him. And then just went his way and entered the house, laid his hands on him and said, "'Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you "'on the road you came, sent me that you might receive "'your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit.' "'Immediately there fell from his, at Saul's eyes, "'something like scales, and he received his sight at once. "'He rose and was baptized.'" You think, oh, I don't need to be baptized. Jesus spoke to me, so, you know, I don't need that. Verse 19. "'So when he received food, he was strengthened, Then Saul spent some days with the disciples at Damascus. I'm sure he had lots of questions. Verse 20, Immediately he preached to Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. Then all who heard were amazed. (laughs) Said, hey, isn't this the guy who destroyed those who called his name Jerusalem? And he came here for this purpose? So he might bring them bound to the chief priests? But Saul increased... All the more in strength, it confounded the Jews who dwelt in Damascus, proving that this Jesus was the Christ. Now let's go to Acts 13, verse 6. Now when they'd gone through the island of Pathos, they found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew whose name was Bar-Jesus, who was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, an intelligent man. This man called for Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the words of God. But Elimas the sorcerer, for so his name is translated, withstood them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. Then Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, O full of all deceit and all fraud, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, will you not cease perverting the straight ways of the Lord? Now, indeed, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you shall be blind, not seeing the sun for a time. So, think about this with Paul. It was a change, a total about face, total reversal, redirection, a complete transformation. These are the essentials for real biblical repentance. It's all changed. He gave up his old life and had to realize his change to a new life was a major risk of death and persecution. Yet he stood up for the truth after he repented. He'd been betraying Christians to death. Now a lot of you say, Yeah, but you've got lots of sins and is it have you really been doing worse than that, betraying Christians to death? Probably not. You say, Yeah, but I've been repeating the same sins over and over and over again. Like that Joe guy you mentioned a few minutes ago. Perhaps but all has sin and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23, but we can repent, and you can repent, and yes, God will forgive your sins if you're willing to truly repent. I don't think your sins are worse than Paul Saul's were. We also have a sermon on what's the impardonable sin, if you want to watch that. Anyway, the need for change must have hurt Saul's pride, as well as his current social standing, but he did it anyway. He was sincere and his life changed. You know, some people are worried about repenting and changing to follow the true way of Christianity. They're afraid oh, what are my family and friends going to think? What about my employer? Saul gave up a lot. He said, yeah, but he was Saul. He was a sinner. Okay, so are we. God has great things in store for you. Uh, some perhaps in this life and some in the, the life to come. Uh, we have a, a free book I am looking for. I've got it on this side over here. Called The Mystery of God's Plan. Why did God create anything? Why did God create you? Now, you might not be called, like Saul was, to p- become Paul, to be an apostle in this age. But God, He have something for you far greater than that. In His coming kingdom, if in this age you will truly repent and turn His way, looking for a booklet that I grabbed a minute ago. Oh, here it is, right uh, up front. As far as how to live as a Christian, we have a, a free booklet called "Christians Ambassadors for the Kingdom of God." Again, this one, this, or any other ones that I may hold up are available at the CCOG.org. website, go to literature tabs under books and booklets, you can find them and they're free. Repentance includes feeling sorry, of course, but it goes much deeper than that. A convicted, hardened criminal feels sorry when he faces the gallows, but that's not really repentance, but merely selfish depression, inner anxiety triggered by cowering fear of a penalty. Godly repentance means to stop sinning and turn the other way. To change your way of life. Now it's not always easy to say, I'm sorry. But it's even harder to mean it. Godly repentance has to come from the heart and God calling you into it. Sometimes you have to give up completely certain things or being in certain situations that others can tolerate. For example, maybe you can't be around people who smoke cigarettes if you have a weakness that way. Or maybe you can't be around people who uh, uh, drink alcohol uh, if you have a weakness that way. I mean, And don't think because some people can tolerate certain things, you can tolerate everything they can. We all have different strengths and weaknesses. And people, people need to repent. Now, let's go to uh, the book of Acts. Acts uh, 17 want to read starting verse 22 God wants all to repent and God will use different uh, ways to to encourage people to do so you know, Paul had said to the Jews who became a Jew to the Greeks the Greeks those under the laws under the law but not but under the law of Christ etc but let's see another thing he did acts 17 starting verse 22. Then Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus, and uh, that's actually on the side of the uh, hill that the Acropolis is on. And my wife and I accidentally uh, ran into it once. And what do you mean, accidentally? We saw this the thing, we were climbing up, the, walking up the Acropolis, and saw something kind of shiny, kind of like a hill within a hill, a small mound, if you will, not really a hill. And we walked up on there, and you could see down in Athens. And I didn't realize until afterwards that that's where Paul gave the speech that I'm about to to read here. I found it out later because I saw it in the tourist book. And then so we went back and we took a couple of pictures of me there, I think, uh, my wife, Joyce, as well there. Anyway, Paul there said, Men of Athens, I perceive in all things you're very religious. So yes, you can be religious and be going the wrong way. Anyway, he says, as far as passing through and considering your objects of worship, and I found one with this inscription, to the unknown God, therefore the one whom you worship without knowing, him I proclaim to you. And people say, well, he used some kind of a pagan thing to encourage them for Christianity. Yes, he did. He said, anyway, God, that doesn't mean we're supposed to incorporate paganism in our worship, but there are ways to connect to people, and you try to connect. People with things that they understand, and he thought he would use this at this time, or God inspired him to do that. Anyway, he said, starting verse 24 God, who made the world and everything in it, since He's the Lord of heaven and earth, He doesn't dwell in temples made with hands, nor is He worshipped with men's hands as though He needed anything, since He gives to all life, breath, and all things, and He has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on the face of the earth, and has determined their pre-appointed times and their boundaries of their dwellings, so that they should seek the Lord in hope that they might grope for Him and find Him, though He is not far from each one of us. For in Him we live and move and have our being, as also some of your poets have said. For we are also God's offspring, which their poets also said. So we use some of their writings to say, look, you know this Aspects of Christianity are consistent with what you wrote, doesn't mean you therefore try to follow pagan religion or pagan philosophy. But um, in the Garden of Eden, there was a the knowledge of good and evil, and uh, not everything uh, people do or everything they believe is evil. Anyway, verse 29 Therefore, since we are the offspring of God, we ought not think of the divine nature as like gold or silver or stone or something shaped by man's devising. Truly, these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent. And that includes women, by the way, because he's appointed a day in which he'll judge the world in righteousness by the man who has ordained Jesus. He gives, has given us assurance to this by raising him from the dead. Anyway, Paul was mostly speaking to uh, uh, Gentiles in Athens. I read one translation of uh, uh, 2 Peter 3:9. Uh, I want to read it again because Peter just confirmed what I just read from uh, Acts 17:31. Uh, the Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some. Slackness of his long suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And God has a plan of salvation that leads to repentance. Some God is calling in this age, and some God will be calling in the age to come. Now, this is one of the ways that the continuing Church of God differs from uh, Protestantism. Protestants do not, be- in general, do not believe in God's plan of salvation. They don't understand that some are being called now and others will be called later. But that, that not only is that a belief of the Continuing Church of God, it was also a belief of the original Catholic Church, and we have another book, also, of the original Catholic Church. Again, both of these available at the CCOG.org website. Because of misinformation from Greco-Roman Catholics and Protestants, a lot of people do not understand God's plan of salvation, including the atheists and Hindus and whatever. Buddhists and Muslims who have false ideas about Christianity, mainly because most of the people they've run into have not practiced true Christianity or don't understand God's plan, have not truly repented as they should, and again, don't offer the type of hope that God does through His Word. By the way, we in the Continuing Church of God do not teach universal salvation, but we do teach a universal offer of salvation. That was a belief of the original uh, Christian Church, and there's hundreds of scriptures in your Bible, presuming you have one, that show that. Now let's go to Hebrews chapter 6. Hebrews chapter 6, starting in verse 1. Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works. Foundation is repentance from dead works and a faith toward God and a doctrine of baptism, laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. So you see that repentance is one of the foundational doctrines of the Christian faith. Now I want to go to the book of Hosea. Hosea chapter 7. We'll start in verse 14. Here, speaking of God's people, Ephraim, he's going to, God says he's going to punish them for their lack of repentance. God says, And they have not cried unto me with their whole heart, with their heart, when they howled upon their beds. They rebel against me. i will started in verse 14. I'm sorry, I didn't say that. If I didn't say it. Though I have bound strength in their arms, yet they imagine mischief against me they return, but not to the Most High. They imagine they, uh, they're mischief, and they return. They, they, they say they've made some changes, but they won't do it God's way. Without national repentance, uh, places like, uh, say, United States, United Kingdom, Australia, New Zealand, Canada are doomed, as uh, others, uh, but they're gonna hit it first, Let's, let's go to Second Chronicles 7. God calls for national repentance. Second Chronicles 7, starting verse 13. When I shut up heaven and there is no rain, or command the locusts to devour the land, or send pestilence among my people, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, my people will not humble themselves. Their pride gets in the way they will not truly repent or they're afraid of again what friends family society bosses, mother might think and turn from their wicked ways to repent then i will hear from heaven and forgive their sins and heal their land now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayer made in this place but because many will not do that they're going to have problems God's anger is aroused against the United States, which is called Samaria in prophecy, because it rebels against God and won't uh, turn toward innocence. I want to go to Hosea. Let's go to Hosea chapter eight, verse five. I'll read a couple of passages about Samaria, which uh, in double prophecy is the equivalent of Manasseh, which is uh, the United States. Hosea eight verse five. O Samaria, my anger is aroused against them. How long until they attain to innocence? Repent to become clean. Now let's go to Hosea thirteen verse sixteen. Hosea thirteen verse sixteen. Samaria is held guilty, for she has rebelled against her God. They shall fall by the sword. By the way, is a prophecy in Daniel eleven verse thirty nine. The power of the strongest fortress is going to be destroyed, which would be the United States. Their infants will be dashed in pieces, and the women with child ripped open. Now, I want to go into Hosea uh, 11, so you can go back. I'm going to read a couple different verses here, several verses. Hosea 11 talks about the king of Assyria who's going to be the final king of the north, and that he's going to become Ephraim's king. Ephraim, the descendants of Ephraim would be the British descended peoples of Australia, New Zealand, uh, Canada, uh, United Kingdom. Verse 3, Hosea 11. I taught Ephraim to walk. Verse 5. But the Assyrian shall be his king. Why? Because they refused to repent. And the sword... Shall slash his cities, devour his districts, and consume them because of their own counsels. My people are bent on backsliding from me. Though they call to the Most High, none at all exalt him. So these people in the United States, British people oh yeah, a lot of them will call to God, but they won't repent, they won't do it God's way. And we're seeing the prophesied shame starting to come on the Anglo-American powers. By the way, the Assyrian king is also specifically prophesied to eliminate Samaria, the United States, in Isaiah uh, 10, 5 through 12. So don't just think the Assyria is going to be the king only of the Ephraimites, the, uh, the British, but also uh, the Americans as well. Although the land will be divided, uh, so perhaps not all of the land uh, will go that way. Maybe other powers will control. I think, for example, Russia will end up with at least parts of Alaska and perhaps Canada and Mexico probably ended with a lot of states in the United States. Anyway, without repentance, increased pride is occurring. The sexually immoral hold pride parades. I think this is a good thing. And such increased pride is going to be followed by prophesied destruction of the Anglo-American nations. Yes, other nations have their sins, and they're going to be punished later. But since your nation is probably not going to repent, doesn't mean you can't. You can if you want, if you're willing to heed God's calling. If you're watching this, the odds are God has called you to repentance or is calling you to repentance. I'm gonna go to uh, Ezekiel 18. Go to verse 20. Ezekiel 18, verse 20. The soul who sins shall die. The son shall not bear the guilt of his father, and the father bear the guilt of your son. So don't think, because of your family history, that you can't repent and come to God. That's not the case. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon himself. The wickedness upon the wicked shall be upon himself. But if a wicked man turns from his sins, all his sins which he's committed, okay, Turns from all the sins which he's committed, keeps my statutes and does what's lawful and right, he shall surely live, he shall not die. None of the transgressions which he's committed shall be remembered against him. Because of the righteous which this which he's done, he shall live. So don't think you cannot be forgiven. You can. If you'll truly change. Do I have any pleasure at the death that the wicked should die, that all the wicked should die, says the Lord? And not that he should turn from his way and live. God wants all to repent. Let's go down to verse 30 Ezekiel 18. Therefore, I will judge you, O house of Israel, every one according to his ways. This is Lord God. Repent and turn from all your transgressions so that iniquity will not be your ruin. Cast away from you all the transgressions which you've committed. Turn away. Stay, go the opposite direction. If you turn, you go, go the other way. You go as far away from your sins as you can and get yourselves a new heart and new spirit. Why should you die, O house of Israel? For I have no pleasure in the death of one who dies, says the Lord. Therefore, turn and live. Now, your Bible says a lot of people have an outward showing of repentance toward him. Like right after uh, 9-11, there were signs up, and even in Las Vegas, people made some pretense uh, of, of uh, turning to God. But they didn't do it with their whole hearts, with their hearts. Most of the world only does an outward, superficial world of repentance without uh, true, real sincerity or deep feeling. Let's go to uh, Hebrews chapter 12. Many people repent like Esau did. We read about that in the Old Testament. The New Testament tells us, Hebrews 12 verse 14, Pursue peace with all peoples and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. And looking carefully, lest anyone should fall short of the grace of God. So you can fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble. And there are various ones who are bitter, bitter toward people, bitter toward relatives, bitter toward uh, the ministry, the churches, whatever. And by this, many become defiled. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau, who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. For you know that afterward, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. He found, For he found no place for repentance, though he sought it diligently with tears. It was too late, he was repenting the wrong way. It was, a, it was a, not a godly sorrow, but a worldly sorrow. He was sorry for what happened, but he didn't really repent towards God. to switch from following the way of get to the way of give the way of Satan, to the way of love. His move toward repentance, like others in this world, was hollow. Now, after Jesus was executed, uh, Judas repented himself, but it was too late and he went and hung himself, which demonstrated that Judas didn't understand repentance. Let's go to First Peter 3. 1 Peter 3, starting verse 10. For he who would love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil. And even within church, you've got people who say things or they write things or post things that they should be refraining from. And his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue, pursue it. Don't take chances on it being too late for you. There's a lot of people think, oh, I don't really have to be part of the of church. Uh, it's okay to be an independent Christian. You're supposed to be supporting the work of God. Hopefully you realize you're supposed to be doing that. Now, it's probably not too late yet, but don't delay. You need to seek God. Speaking about that, uh, the late uh, Pastor General of Old Worldwide Church of God Herbert Armstrong wrote about that a section called "Seek God" uh, in his book of "Just What You Mean: Repentance." Said instead of fighting problems with our own strength, we need to learn the lessons God is teaching us. We need to begin to seek Him. He doesn't need us, but we need Him. Daniel was inspired to record his own reactions in such a case for our instruction, and he's going to quote Daniel nine three. And I set my face unto the eternal God to seek by prayer and supplication with fasting, sackcloth, and ashless. Nehemiah's example is also recorded for us. We found his nation had returned to Palestine with an affliction and reproach. Here's what he said, or did. This is Nehemiah 1.4. It came to pass when Nehemiah heard these, I, Nehemiah, heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned certain days and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven he immediately set out to draw close to God. He didn't do it a half-hearted, lackadaisical matter-of-fact, Laodicean way. He did it earnestly, sincerely, with all his heart. He set himself up to find God and His will by prayer and fasting. These men earnestly desired to find God's will. They were willing to do whatever was required to draw close to Him to receive His forgiveness. They were willing to do without food and water, if necessary, to demonstrate to God their desire to know His way. And actually, when you're uh, fasting, put out uh, food and water, it should humble you is, uh, to which is also gets you to grow closer to God you realize that, you know, I'm kinda of weak. And if you think about it, you know, you're one heartbeat away away from death or uh, you know, or one one breath away, which would probably take maybe eight to twelve minutes or something, depending on the person, maybe a little longer. And that's it. Salvation is a personal matter between you and God, that's got to be in God's terms. And, he Herbert Armstrong wrote something. It's called, uh, in the same book, Turn From Our Own Ways. The people of this world outwardly follow many uh, steps, but they fall short in the final, most important step. Turning from their wicked ways. That's why it's so hard to distinguish between a believer and a non-believer. That's why the distance between our professed faith and daily performance is astronomical. So many people in this day and age profess to be repentant, profess Christianity, yet still live the wretchedness of their sinful ways. So finally, one of the most important steps in coming through repentance is to stop sinning. Millions claim membership in a church. They loudly proclaim their belief in Jesus Christ. They testify for Christ, but their fruit's not there. All too often, our repentance is a worldly repentance spoken of in uh, 2 Corinthians 7.10. What we really need to come to, seek and understand, is the kind of repentance God speaks of. Now, he's quoting Joel 2, verses 12 to 13. I think this is from the old King James. He's used a couple different versions here. doesn't specify. Therefore also, now saith the Eternal turn ye even to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning, and rend your heart, and not your garment, and turn to the Eternal your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, great kindness, and repents him of evil. God doesn't want the type of uh, repentance which is manifest as trip down the old sawdust trail that certain Protestant tent speakers would do. Though no, he just doesn't want your name in a membership list, the role of some church. What God wants and what you should come to is deeply desire to sincerely acknowledge your sins and ask forgiveness. God wants you to say, I'm sorry, and mean it. He wants you to repent of breaking and obeying His law. Although emotion usually accompanies repentance, bare emotion or sorrow accompanied by, unaccompanied by true change isn't repentance. Uh, Herbert Armstrong mentioned 2 Corinthians 7. The Apostle Paul wrote some things there, so we're going to go here. We talk about uh, different sorrows here. 2 Corinthians 7, let's start with verse Uh, 8. For even if I made you sorry with my letter, Paul wrote, I didn't regret it, though I did regret it. For I perceived that the same epistles made you sorry, only for a while. Now I rejoice that you're made sorry but that, not that you you were made sorry, but that your sorrow led to repentance. For you were made sorry in a godly manner, that you might suffer loss for us in nothing. For godly sorrow produces repentance, leading to salvation, not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. For observe this very thing, that you sorrowed in a godly manner. What diligence it produced in you, what clearing of yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what vehement desire, what zeal, what vindication, In all things, you proved yourselves to be clear in this manner. Notice that Paul said that worldly sorrow proclaims or leads to death, produces death. And that's the type of uh, sorrow and self-pity that uh, some may come to in, let's say, a a Protestant evangelical campaign or something. And uh, let's go to James chapter 2. James 2 verse 18. Now a lot of people believe, or say they believe, and it does not take faith to accept that there was a person named Jesus, whose Bible says came and died for your sins. James 2 verse 18. But some will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith from by my works. You believe there's one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. But you ought to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is death. Actions and show that you're sincere in seeking God. You don't have to go there, but in 1 John 3.10, the Apostle John wrote, In this the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. As far as righteousness goes, Psalm 119, verse 1 72 says, my tongue shall speak of your word, for all your commandments are righteousness. Now I want to go to Matthew 3. John the Baptist refused to baptize those who had not shown by their changed behavior, they brought forth the true fruit of repentance. So this is John, John John, John the Baptist is in Matthew 3, starting in verse uh, 7. But when, men, when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said, great, just get baptized. No. He said, brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore, bear fruits worthy of repentance. You do not think to yourself, huh, we have Abraham as our father. Or I've been in some Greco-Roman Protestant church forever. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children of Abraham from these stones. And even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cast down and thrown in the fire. And Christians, particularly the unseen ones, need to be careful. It doesn't happen to them. I... I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fan is in his hand. He will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather his wheat to the barn. He will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Now, if you're in Matthew, we're going to go to Matthew 7. Jesus dogmatically stated that mere lip service, a misnamed belief, is not sufficient with salvation, even if it is accompanied by things that the world would marvel at. Matthew 7, verse 21, Jesus said, not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, so not everybody that says that Jesus is Lord shall enter the King of heaven, but who will? But he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, haven't we prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? So I said, sometimes people's prayers are answered, even if they're not true believers, even though they think they are. And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Now, one of the books that we have is on the Ten Commandments. And Jesus condemned the Pharisees for their hypocrisy, because they didn't truly keep God's commandments. Well, they claimed to be, but they didn't. We have a situation now that within the Greek Roman Protestant world, some do think they keep the 10 commandments, but they reason around many of them, not all of them. And then also you have Protestant leaders who go out, and like Andy Stanley comes to mind, his father is more famous than him, but he just goes out and says, you don't have to keep the commandments. And that's not what the Bible teaches. A lot of people do not know how to live as a Christian. Now, you see, this booklet is not as long as this one. So, if you want more of the Ten Commandments, this would be helpful. But this one is still good either way. Now, let's go to uh, uh, Luke. Luke uh, 13. Uh, I've alluded to this before. There, there, we've got situations starting in verse 1 uh, some Galileans uh, uh, were, were killed by uh, Pilate and he said to Jesus said those who brought it up do you think they were worse than other sinners because they suffered these no, unless you repent you will all likewise perish or about the 18 who the tower of Siloam fell and killed them do you think they were worse sinners than all the other men in Jerusalem I tell you no, but unless you repent you will all likewise perish Perish! So he wanted repentance, and it, and these people considered themselves God's people. And God, Jesus told them still to repent. Now let's go down to verse six. He spoke this parable: A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it. And he found none, and he said to the keeper of the vineyard, "Look, for three years I've come seeking fruit to this fig tree and found none. Cut it down. Why does it take use up ground?" And the answer said to him. Sir, let it alone this year, and I'll dig around it and fertilize it. It bears fruit well, but if not, you'll cut it down. Jesus expects his people to bear fruit. We are to bear fruit, which means more than just accepting and just living for ourselves. Have you changed? Most Christians in the end time, are uh, like the Laodiceans, uh, our Laodiceans, actually, we can read about them in uh, Revelation uh, 3, starting verse 14. Jesus said, "Is the church, the angel of the church of the Laodiceans, right, notice it's Laodiceans plural, there's a lot of Laodicean churches. These things says the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works, that you're not cold nor hot. I wish you were cold nor hot. So be, but become because you become lukewarm and not cold or hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say, I'm rich, I become wealthy, I need nothing. I'm independent. I was betrayed by ministers who went the wrong way or whatever, or whatever. Don't you know you're rich and miserable, blind, poor, naked? I counsel you to buy from me gold, refined in the fire, that you may be rich. In white garments you may be clothed, and the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed. Anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. See your sins you can repent. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Jesus said he wants these Christians to repent. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come to him and dine with him. To him who overcomes, who is overcoming sin and changing, and supporting the work you're supposed to be supporting, because it let seems to have the right work, I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I overcame and sat with my father. He has an ear to hear, Hear what the Spirit says to the uh, churches. Now, what about penance? Some people think that all you have to do is say various prayers and uh, repeat them, and this is what God wants. Well, I think most of you know, but let's read it anyway, what Jesus said about this in Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 7. And I've got a fair amount of scriptures I'm still going to go through here. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think they'll be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows these things you have need of before you ask Him. Now I'd like to read something from uh, the book of Hebrews, starting verse chapter 10, verse 4. And I want to read this from a Roman Catholic translation, because Roman Catholics tend to teach penance. I mean, that's a major doctrine of them. And They also think that Jesus needs to be sacrificed every time they have a church service, they call mass, which is the sacrifice. They call it the sacrifice of Jesus. But in their own translation, of the New Testament, we read Matthew, excuse me, Hebrews 10, starting verse four. Bulls, blood, and goats are incapable of taking away sins. And that's why he said on coming in this world, you want to no know sacrifice a cereal offering, verse 10. And this will was for us to be made holy by the offering of the body of Jesus Christ made once and for all. Every priest stands at his duties, talk to the Levitical priests, offering over and over again the same sacrifices which are quite incapable of taking away sins. He, that's Jesus on the other hand, has offered one single sacrifice for his sins and then taken his seat forever at the right hand of God, where he's now waiting till his enemies are made his footstool. Jesus was only to be sacrificed once. And Jesus said, Pray to God for our sins to be forgiven. Matthew 6, starting in verse 12. We are to pray. And forgive us our debts, as we forget our debtors, and lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Verse 14. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. So that's something else we need to do. Some people don't uh, repent. of; They won't forgive others like they should. But if you don't forgive men of their trespasses, neither of your father forgive your uh, trespasses. Now, as far as end-time Christians, you don't have to go there, but in Revelation 14, verse 12, it says, here's the patience of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and have the faith of Jesus. Real Christians keep God's commandments. And I held up the Ten Commandments booklet. The Apostle John wrote in 1 John 3.18, My little children, let us love, not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Acts 5.32 says, God only grants his Holy Spirit to those who obey him. Uh, and I alluded to this before. But for salvation, scriptures teach, Hebrews 5.8-9, Though he was a son, he learned obedience to things which he suffered. We're to be children of God, we are to learn as well. Verse 9, And having been perfected, he, Jesus, became the author of eternal salvation to all who said his name once. No, to all who obey him. Let's go to Luke 14, starting in uh, verse 26. Jesus said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, brothers and sisters, and yes, his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, intending to build a tower, does not sit down first and count the cost, where there is enough to finish it, lest after he's laid the foundation, is not able to finish? And all the see it began to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was unable to finish. So if you... Go start to go the right way, don't give up. Make sure you count the cost first. But it's a cost worth bearing. Verse thirty one, Jesus says, Or what king going to make war against another king doesn't sit down first and consider whether he's able with ten thousand to meet one who comes against him but twenty thousand. Or else while the other is a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks conditions of peace. So therefore, whichever you will not forsake all cannot be my disciple. So repentance includes be able to forsake all. But if you do, Jesus says in Matthew 6 starting in verse 31, he says, don't worry about what we should eat, what should we drink, what should we wear, after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your Heavenly Father knows you need these things, but seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. We're supposed to seek God's kingdom every day. I want to go to the book of James, chapter 1. We must see our sins, stop them, and resolve to do what's right. And James 1, verse 22, it says, Be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For anyone to hear of the word is not a doer, he's like a man observing his natural face in the mirror, who observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks in the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, And is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in all he does. Now let's go to James uh, 2, starting verse 8. But if you really fulfill the royal law according to Scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you do well. But if you show partiality, you commit sin, and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble at one point, he is guilty of all. For he who said, Do not commit adultery, also said, Do not murder. Still think, You don't have to repent of these sins, or this one. Now if you don't commit adultery, but you do murder, you become a transgressor of the law. So speak and do those, because those will be judged by the law of liberty. And in 1 Corinthians 11, verses 28-32, the Apostle Paul tells us to examine ourselves. Uh, If we examine ourselves, we won't be judged. We're judged, we're chastised by, by God. We're to live God's way. Jeremiah said in Jeremiah 10, the way of man is not in his steps. He can't direct his steps, but God can. Paul warned to, to live like the world, to be carnally minded, Romans 8, 6 and 8, is death. So what's real Repentance it's a true upheaval in your life. Essentially, a spiritual and emotional crisis triggered by intense painful conviction about what you've been doing wrong and the lies you've accepted and the fact you haven't lived according to the truth. Real repentance is an experience that hammers to us that we haven't just done wrong, but we are wrong. We've been going the wrong way. We're pricked at our heart. we change. We want to turn our lives over to God, and we're sincere about it. We're willing to live God's way. Real repentance is a sober desire to replace the selfish, fleshy reactions to living God's way, God's way of love. Have you repented? I hope so. Go the right way, not the wrong way. And as I mentioned before, we have some literature that may assist you also along this line. God expects true repentance from his people. Hopefully you have done that, and you'll continue to do that, or you will do that if you haven't in the past. This is Dr. Bob Teal for the Continuing Church of God.